Amen. Well, I trust that uh, each of you had a, a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, I know uh, I enjoyed our Thanksgiving with our family and those cute little babies and, you know, hanging on to them and, and uh, watching everybody eat and things. But what a blessing it is. And I know that we probably all ate a little too much. Um, I know I did. I'm con- confession's good for the soul. Um, but um, we're going to start a, 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 working on some Christmas passages this week and over the next few weeks. And uh, this morning, I want to share with you something out of Matthew chapter 1. And so if you have your scripture and would open up to that, um, really I want to speak on the topic of dealing uh, with disappointment. Dealing with disappointment. And uh, we're going to read that in just a little bit. Um, You know, there are at least three powerful lessons uh, that we can learn about Christmas from the Gospel of Matthew, and I just want to hit these really quick. The first one is that God always keeps His Word. God always keeps His Word. Now, God gives promises, and He keeps keeps them. He may be long, but He's never, ever late. His timing is perfect. God always keeps His Word. Secondly, God works in spite of people like us. In spite of people like us, God still continues to work. I mean, if God can accomplish his purposes through people like Herod, through people like Caesar, even through some shady people who appear in the family tree of Jesus, he can work through you and he can work through me. And God specializes in accomplishing historical improbabilities and biological impossibilities. God works in spite of people like us. Thirdly, I would say this. Jesus is Lord and has the right to rule in your life. I mean, the great question of the book of Matthew is, is Jesus Christ king of your life? I mean, has the Christ of Christmas entered your spirit? Have you allowed him to be the boss, to be the master, to be your Lord, your Savior? See, that is when he becomes king, when you allow him first place. See, my job is to tell you the truth. If I ever am not telling you the truth, if I'm standing up here and I'm telling you stuff that isn't true, I want you to call me out on it. I want you to say, that's not true, Brother Ridge. I want you to to help me be accountable to God's word. See, my job is to tell you the truth, and your job is to respond to the truth that you know. So those are our jobs. This morning, I would suggest to you that, you know, sometimes we can blame God uh, for the things that come into our life, or we can be like Joseph, and we can believe God. Very simple. Remember that nothing is impossible with God. Absolutely nothing is impossible with God. By the way, this passage that that I'm going to give you this morning um, applies directly to to men, but it will also, some of it will will apply to all of us um, in some way. And it it occurred to me as I was reading through this that men and and women are, are very different beings. 
And um, I know it's, I'm a late learner, okay, a little slow, a few problems, no big deal. But men and women are different, and uh, <laughs> I want to I I share something with you. It's kind of funny, but, uh, you know, there's some advantages to being a man. Um, one of them is that the garage is all yours. You can have it. It's your domain. Um, secondly, wedding plans uh, tend to take care of themselves. Um, not really. Um, <laughs> Phone conversations are over in 30 seconds flat. Okay, it's usually like pretty quick. Okay, um, the same st- hairstyle lasts for years, sometimes decades. Shaving is optional as long as she approves. You, get, you can play with toys all of your life. And you can do your Christmas shopping for 25 relatives on December 24th in 25 minutes or less. I mean, those are some advantages to being a man. You know, for most people, Christmas is a time of joy. But not for everyone. Some people are disappointed maybe about the gifts they receive. Some people may be disappointed because they can't be with the friends and family that they want to be with. Some people are disappointed that they maybe don't have enough money to buy the the gifts for others that they want to give. And for them and many others, Christmas is a time of disappointment for a whole lot of reasons. We look at it and we understand that what I'm saying is the truth. Sometimes Christmas is a disappointment to people. When we read the Gospels and when we read the account of Christmas that happened, that very first Christmas that happened over 2,000 years ago, We stand in awe as angels and shepherds and magi. They come and they they worship the Christ child. And we think, oh, what a wonderful thing. How, How great that is. And we are so awed, in fact, that we forget that at least one person initially greeted the news of his impending birth with a sense of disappointment. Ralph Waldo Emerson, he he once said, he said, What you do speaks so loudly, I cannot hear what you say. Let's talk a little bit about Joseph. Nowhere in the Gospels does Joseph ever say a word. This is Mary and Joseph. Nowhere in the Gospels does he ever say a word. We might say what he did speaks so loudly there was no need for him to say anything. See, Joseph is remarkably simple. But I would submit to you this morning that Joseph is simply remarkable. Okay, and I say that because the real test of maturity is not what a person faces in life. Nor is it revealed in what they are called on to do. The real evidence of the depth of a person's character is seen in what they do with what what they do with what they are handed. I mean, life hands us all kinds of things, but what you do with it shows the depth of your character. See, it's one thing to be placed in a trial, in a storm. 
It's another thing altogether to respond to that trial or that storm in the proper way. It's one thing to be called to carry out a task for the Lord. It's another thing to do it without question. See, most of us want to see the end picture, don't we? We want to know what's going to happen, how we're going to get there, what do we need, what are we going to be, what if we get hungry, what if we run out of water, what if there's no air conditioning, what if, what if, what if, what if. But to do what God calls us to do without question, this is huge. While there are several advantages to being a man, some men have a load of difficulties as well. Here are some of the things that we know about Joseph. We're going to read the passage in just a moment. We know that Joseph was a carpenter. We know that he was from Nazareth. Nazareth didn't have a good reputation. Nazareth was a place you didn't want to be from. Nathaniel in John 1:46 says, Nazareth? Could anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, really? That's the reputation Nazareth had. He was a carpenter from Nazareth. He was poor. And his lineage was under a curse. Think about this. While he was related to King David, one of his relatives really messed things up for Joseph. In Jeremiah 36, we read of a wicked king named Jehoiakim, who when confronted with the scriptures... He decided to burn the scroll written by the prophet Jeremiah. And as a result, verse 30 of chapter 36 in Jeremiah says this, that he will have no descendant, no one to sit on the throne of David. He's cursed. His family, his lineage is cursed. His name carried with it some type of shame. Joseph certainly had some things going against him. I mean, he could have easily blamed God for a job that maybe didn't create a whole lot of money, for living in a town that had a bad reputation, for being poor, and for coming from a family that had a fruitcake in it. Oh, how many families have fruitcakes in them? Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought, yeah. But instead of blaming God, he believed God. And this is, this is key, and that's as simple as it gets. See, he didn't blame God. He didn't do that. He accepted what he had and was okay with what he didn't have. He accepted what he had and was okay with what he didn't have. See, before we go much further, let me remind you that Joseph was the man that Almighty God chose to raise His Son. The Creator of all of the universe, Almighty God, the One who spoke the world into being, chose Joseph to raise His Son. That's a big job. That's a big job. See, I think... To understand God, 
I mean, why did God do that? Why did he choose Joseph? And I, I think it had something to do with the scripture in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, where it says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. See, I believe that Joseph knew God. I believe that he trusted God. Even in the disappointments, even in the hard times. And God knew that he could trust Joseph. Now Joseph and Mary, they were, they were in the middle of their engagement period. A little different from our engagement period when we talk about getting married. Many times, they were, they were actually in a, in a period of betrothal. Okay, which is a step beyond engagement. So like um, in, in, in this time, what they would do is a lot of times they would engage uh, young people, uh, younger people to be married. The marriages were set up ahead of time, if you will. Preset between a, a child of, of one family and a child of another. And that would be in an, in what we would call an engagement. They would be engaged. Okay, so basically there's, there's something going to happen in the future. It's not yet, but sometime soon. Okay, down the road. Now, a betrothal means it's imminent. They're going to be married within a year. So we're going to betroth them. They're betrothed to each other. They're called husband and wife. They don't live together, but they're building their future together. He may have been working on a home. He may have been building their house so they could move out and be on their own. Uh, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing where it was a binding it was a binding agreement that could only be separated by divorce. They had not consummated their marriage. They hadn't slept together. But here, they hadn't had the wedding ceremony yet. But they were betrothed together. They were engaged. And they were to be married together. And the only way they could separate that was from a, with, with a divorce. So let's pick it up here in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, speaking of Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Loving Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for what it shows us about you. Father, I pray that this morning because of our time together that our hearts would be quickened. 
Father, that we would know you better and that you would know us. And Father, that we would surrender the things, the disappointments, the things in our life that don't belong. And Father, that we would give Jesus Christ first place in everything. Holy Spirit, lead us to all truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, in this passage, Joseph almost drops the ball of, as his plans, you know, fall out of his hands and onto the ground. I mean, how could this be? Joseph knew he wasn't the father, so Mary must have been unfaithful to him, or so he thought. Have you ever had your dream turn into a nightmare? Have you ever had your dream turn into a nightmare? See, as we move through life, we understand and we know that the Lord has a plan to use us for His glory. Our, our, our point in living, our point in existence is to glorify Almighty God. He created us. He gave us life. He gave us eternal life. He gives us relationships with others. He provides everything that we need in this life. He gives that to us. Our job is to glorify Him. We also know that His plan may be very different than the plan we have for ourselves that we want to carry out. That His plan is different. There may be some rough places along the way. There may be some bumps in our paths. But genuine faith in God never seeks the easy road. Genuine faith in God never seeks the easier road. See, faith is willing to go where God leads regardless of the cost, regardless of the consequence. It's not a simple thing. See, the problem is, is we just want to take faith and we want to add it to our comfortable life. And it doesn't work that way. God says, if you're going to follow my son Jesus, it will cost you everything. Everything. But he also said, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. See, real faith says, on the surface, this looks like the worst thing I've ever faced. Still, I know that God has gone ahead of me and that he has planned the path I will take. So I will faithfully place my feet in the footprints as he leads me down this path. I will follow him. I won't turn back in spite of anything I might face. And I know it might look like a nightmare at this moment in time, but I know that his plan is the best plan and that he will take this tragedy and turn it somehow into a triumph. So I say, here am I. Send me, O Lord. What will you do when your dream turns into a nightmare? See, often the way we look at life, we look at it like we're watching a parade through two really huge, tall buildings. Now, as the parade passes in front of our view, okay, we can see what's in front of us at the time, 
And we can remember what has already passed by us, but we really can't see what's next, what's, what's coming. And so we're watching the parade between these, these, these buildings, and we have to wait until it gets to us to see what is in front of us. That's the way we see life, isn't it? Understand, our almighty God sits above it all. He sees it from beginning to end. Amen. She's going to get excited about that. Almighty God sits above it all. To him there are no surprises. He sees the whole thing. And and, and he, he has it planned out for our good. And the best thing we could ever learn to do is simply trust God to bring his best into our lives each and every day. Because he knows what we need. He knows what we are about. He knows what he he has planned for us. We don't know. We're only watching what's happening today. Tomorrow may be something totally different. Tomorrow may be something that we think is not good. But it ultimately may be God's best for us. See, even when our dreams are shattered... Even when our hopes are busted to pieces on the jagged rocks of reality. We need to trust the truth that our Father is still in control and that He will take care of His children. See, God knows what's best for us. We read here that when Joseph learned of Mary's pregnancy, he considered divorcing her. His faith must have been shaken by the circumstances. It says that Mary was found to be with child. It's not like she had a conversation with him, I don't believe. That may indicate that she didn't tell him, but he discovered it when it became obvious. Although they were only espoused, engaged, in their culture that arrangement was was, a ser- was as serious as marriage. They were called husband and wife, and it took a divorce to end the engagement. How disappointed Joseph must have been. Especially to consider this kind of action. He wasn't willing to overlook it. He was considering what to do. He thought the woman that he had trusted had betrayed him. That the future mother of his children seemed to be a moral failure. While everything followed God's plan and turned out right in the end, Joseph set a good example for us to follow in dealing with disappointment. I mean, by Joseph's example, we learn to be merciful. When we're disappointed. To be merciful when we're disappointed. I mean, Joseph had two options. He could divorce Mary privately or publicly. (laughs) She had committed adultery, or so he thought. According to the Mosaic law, she could be stoned to death. Deuteronomy chapter 22 
Verse 23 says, If there is a girl who is a virgin engaged to a man, and another man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death. The girl because she did not cry out in the city, and the man because he has violated his neighbor's wife. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. According to the law, she could be stoned to death. But notice what he chooses to do instead. Verse 19 says, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, a man that is right with God, a man that is upstanding, a man who is righteous, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. He didn't want her killed. He loved her. He desired her. He didn't want to disgrace her. Folks, that's what love does. Love is kind. Love is patient. You see, he, he loves her and he, he doesn't want to, to put her to death. See, often when we're disappointed, we strike out. We get angry. Somebody disappoints us in some, some way or, or something happens. You hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you. We give in to that attitude, I don't get mad, I get even. Many times when we're disappointed, that's what our line of thinking is. I'm not going to get mad, I'm just going to get even. <laughs> There's this young guy, he spied out this article in the, on the web and it was talking about an almost new Cadillac for sale. And the price on there was $150. And he thought, man, that's, that's a brand new Cadillac. So he called the number listed and the, the, the lady answered the phone and he asked her, he said, ma'am, is this a misprint? Because, man, that's, that's a really good price. She said, no, that's the price. And he said, well, can you tell me what's wrong with the car? She said, there's nothing wrong with it. He just blew his mind. He can't figure out. He said, well, why are you selling it so cheap then? She said, well, my husband just died, and in his will, he said to sell the car and to give the money to his secretary. When we get disappointed, we strike out. We want to get even. Seriously, God calls us to mercy. What we see in Joseph's life is he is merciful toward Mary. He gives her mercy in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. It says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. See, when we're disappointed, we need to be merciful. This is the, the example that Joseph gave us. Also, by Joseph's example, we learn to be patient when we're disappointed. Joseph didn't act in haste. Verse 20 tells us, but when he had considered this. But when he had considered this. How long he considered it, we don't know. We don't know, but we don't know that, that, that how long, but we do know that he considered it for some time. Because he didn't make a rash decision. He was not hasty in that. How long did he consider it? We don't know. But we know that he didn't make a quick decision. See, God never gets in a hurry. 
and neither should we. Most of the bad decisions that I've made in my life were because I was pressed and made a quick decision. And then I regretted it. See, God never gets in a hurry, and neither should we. Often we, we act in haste, we live to regret those decisions. So my encouragement to you is give God time to work. Give God time to work out his will in your circumstances. We've been talking kind of personally and individually, but let's think about this on a church body and corporate level. Sometimes on a church level, we can push so hard for things in ministry and and church body life that we end up dividing the body. Because we're not willing to wait and be patient on what God wants to do. We don't give God opportunity to work in our life. I'm sure that if we were more patient in our disappointments, we would give God more room to work things out. See, most of the time, we're too impatient in our situations with ourselves and with others. Joseph's example, we learn to be patient when disappointed. Also by his example, we also learn to be sensitive to God's will when we're disappointed. Notice verse 20 goes on to say, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. What was taking place was not what Joseph had planned. It's not what he desired. It wasn't what he saw his future being. I'm sure he had plans to settle down in a a cozy little home. Maybe he was building that home. Maybe he was working on it. He, he probably envisioned Mary keeping house and being there and, and, and having children with her and, 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 and having this wonderful little family that, that he could love and take care of in a normal little town. But God. But God. But God had different plans for his good. His plans were far greater. I want you, Joseph, to raise the Savior of the world. Wow. His plans for Joseph were far greater than Joseph could have ever dreamed. But those plans began with Joseph's disappointment. Listen, when God wants to do something significant in our lives, he often begins with disappointment. Because all of a sudden, now we're disappointed. It didn't turn out the way we thought. It didn't happen like we wanted it to. And so we're disappointed, we're angry, we're upset. But we need to be merciful, we need to be patient, and we need to be sensitive to what God's Spirit is telling us to do. Maybe God's onto something big. Maybe He wants to use you in a great way. 
I mean, what if Joseph had had a fit? What if Joseph had had acted upon his own selfish desires? What if he had publicly done things to her or or had her stoned or, or whatever? I mean, think about God's plan in all of this. Joseph is brokenhearted. He's disappointed. Things are out of control, but God is in control. He's the one orchestrating these events. Maybe he wants to do something significant in our life. Maybe it's a disappointment we have over a relationship. Maybe it's a disappointment that involves being passed over for a promotion or a raise or something on our, on our job level. Or maybe it's a financial windfall that never materialized like we thought it would. If we maintain a sensitivity towards God's will, it can be a stepping stone to something great for us. Instead of an end, it becomes a new beginning. See, that's how God works. I'm sure we all know people who have been disappointed and they've allowed that disappointment to cause them to become bitter. It didn't work out how I planned. If God would just leave me alone and let me work out the plan. You see, what happens is, is we get disappointed and it turns into bitterness because we begin to shut things out and people out. Joseph was chosen to be the surrogate father of Jesus because he was a righteous man because he was pure of life and pure of heart. He was the kind of man that God could use. Because God didn't have to worry about Joseph getting in the way. Isn't that our problem? We're a bunch of control freaks. But control is an illusion. He's in control. We are not. See, Joseph was yielded to the will of the Lord, and we ought to look. We ought to look seriously at our lives. And we ought to ask ourselves are we the kind of person that God could use in a big way? Many times we sell ourselves short. Are we the type of person that God could use in a big way? And if the answer is no, then we need to say, well, well, how do we get there? How can I get there? How can I become a person that God could use in a big way? See, God will never call another man to do what he called Joseph to do. But God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for my life. The task that he has for you to do may not be easy. You see, God has plenty of big jobs out there left to do. He just needs people who are willing and surrendered to do them.
So my question is, are you willing? Are you willing to be willing? To be willing to do whatever God calls you to do. To be willing to allow God to use you. Like he did Joseph. Yeah, there was a major disappointment happened. But God used it for his glory. And he can do that in your life. And he can do it in mine. May we never forget that it's from the wreckage of our greatest hurts that God often builds us for the greatest blessings in life. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you. I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example that we have of Joseph. That Father, even in the midst of his disappointment, he trusted you. Father, even in the midst of disappointment, he was merciful to Mary. He was patient and waited on you, Father. And he was sensitive to your will. Father, I'm thankful that Joseph did what you called him to do. And Father, I know it was the greatest blessing that could ever happen to him. Father, I pray that you would allow us, Father, to release control to you. That we would say to you this morning, Father, help me to be willing to be willing to do whatever it is you call me to do. Help me be willing to trust you. Father, even though it seems like we're living in a nightmare, Father, that you would turn that tragedy into triumph. Father, that you would reveal to us your plan so that, Father, we could Embrace that as well. Father, what a joy it is to serve you. I pray, Father, that, that you would help us. If there is someone here that has never acknowledged Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, that they would do that this morning. Holy Spirit, that if you would guide us in some way, that you would show us exactly how to respond to your word. Father, maybe we need obedience. Father, maybe we need accountability. Father, maybe we need to make ourselves available. Whatever you are leading us in, I pray that you would give us the grace, the courage, the desire to do what you call us to do. Father, we're going to be very careful to give you the praise and the glory and the honor for what you do in our lives. And Father, we're, we love you. We praise you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your mighty name that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.